Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 76. All right, guys, it's uh, almost new phone eve here, but we're not going to talk too much about the phone because this podcast is going to come out right around then, and why bother speculating for what might be just a a little bit of time that our listeners can hear what we thought and hear how wrong we were or whatever. Yeah, read the rumor sites or you've already seen what happened, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Mac rumors seem to have a pretty good write-up. We'll see how close they get. Yeah, they've got pretty specific details of what they think is coming. I'm probably not too far off. Can't wait for those iPhone 7 rumors. There's eight rumors to start. Oh, they already started. It's the 10th anniversary. (laughs) Yeah, they've, they've been going on for a while. Yeah, but, you know, it's it's really murky at this point. They've got some pretty concrete stuff, but I thought it was interesting how Apple did that thing, like, right before Dub Dub, where they had this big event coming up, and they just, like, dropped a couple things. Which event? Uh, before Dub Dub this year, they, they dropped the oh, subscription like- changes, and they dropped... What else did they do? There's some other change they announced. Well, the App Store sped up at that point, too. Oh, yeah, the improved App Store review times. They they confirmed that that was a legit thing. And mm. they did that again before this, this new iPhone event. They uh, they announced some App Store cleanup and some uh, other miscellaneous improvements to to the App Store. So what, what were your guys' thoughts on, on that? Let's start with the App Store cleanup. So I kind of like the idea that they're going to clean it up and cut out a bunch of the junk. It'll be nice to be you know one and maybe one and a half million instead of one and two million to me that's a benefit yeah it sounds like they're not going to be touting we've got over x amount of apps in the app store anymore they've decided they're beyond that which is nice yeah quality over quantity you know they've been saying curated the whole time right (laughs) (laughs) so by the time this episode comes out people should be receiving emails uh, informing them that they need to update their apps because they're starting that that process on or starting to notify people on September 7th. And I, I suppose that it's, it's going to be pretty easy to get the low hanging fruit at first. So if you haven't updated your app in a year, maybe then they're just automatically going to send you something. You can probably say three years and still get a pretty <laughs> large number of apps. Oh yeah. And there's plenty of iOS six looking apps out there that still run in a letterboxed mode. So they don't, you know, the email doesn't necessarily get too specific about what they're going to focus on. Uh, just apps that don't adhere to the current, current standards. standards. So I, I suspect it's going to have to do with like resolution. You know, if you still, if your phone still is letterboxed with the iPhone three and a half inch screen size on an iPhone five, I think you're probably certain to get a, a letter. Now, if you, don't have like three X images, you know, you might. No, that's not going to, I don't think that's going to cause a, a rejection. That wouldn't cause a rejection. Now there's, there's apps that don't support the iPhone six and six plus screen sizes right now that are updated all the time. Well, you might, so you might still get a warning. Who knows? I mean, I mean, they've got a lot of apps to go through, so I'm sure it's, they're going to go for the, yeah the big offenders first. And then who knows, they might get a little bit more specific and, and nitpicky later. Yeah, we know the if you don't have 64-bit, you're not going to be 
accept it into the app store. Yeah. Uh, for one, you get that warning when you launch on iOS no. 10, but they made that a requirement like a year or two ago and you, and you couldn't even submit 64 bit two or three years ago. So anything more than that obviously is going to be up for re-review. Yeah. There's, there's one in particular I use. It's a, it's BGR. I get that warning every time I launch it after I've updated a beta. I think you only get it one time though, but yeah, every time it's like, Hey, this app is lame. It's not 64 bit. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. And like, that'll do everybody over a certain time period, but there's other things they've, they've changed that they're going to crack down on. I'm sure. Yeah. I, I think it'll be a good thing in the end. I have a few apps that I haven't updated in well over a year, but I think they all still run reasonably well. Yeah. One, one thing, one change that I thought was kind of interesting is they also announced they're going to limit the maximum size of your name. And this new cleanup policy is going to be an ongoing thing. So if you have an existing app that's in the app store, it has to pass review, even if it changes, which is kind of if you're if you're selling to a business, it's kind of a hard sell saying, oh, yeah, we'll get you approved now. But Apple may change something in a month and then you may have to update your app because they don't like whatever rule this is. But so on the the short names, uh, you still have up to 50 characters. And I think in. In most places, it would be truncated anyway, if it were longer than that. Yeah. So a lot of people, I think, took advantage of the extra characters to get a few keywords in there. Oh, yeah. But uh, and now, now you're going to have to make the It'll help search out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, once you see those ellipses, you're not going to read much past that. You're not able to read anything past that anyway. So I guess you could sneak yeah. in some keywords, but that's kind of lame. I can I can definitely see limiting the 50 characters is a good thing. Although that, that also kind of means they haven't really fixed search because that's a, been a big complaint of people. And they're, at least by limiting you to 50 characters, they're eliminating some of the search spam. But it's kind of coincidental that this is timed up well with uh, ads for, for search keywords. So <laughs> no, not only can you no longer <laughs> game the system as much, but you can pay to... To have keywords rank higher. Yeah. You have to pay the game, the system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the things my company has been watching out for is, uh, we call it the search adpocalypse. So we'll see how it affects our business, but it's definitely something we've been planning for. Yeah. You'll have to report back to us in October or whenever, I guess as soon as you start seeing results. We're expecting to be to have to spend some money, and we already do on other platforms. So yeah, it's it's only a matter of how much and how much are other people going to spend. Yeah. yeah, we're not in an Apple store. You can mention the platform's name. Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> there's only one other platform, isn't there? Pretty much, <laughs> only one other that matters. Yeah, I, I saw some like you know they always have those reports of like the the market share for the previous month. And I think other, which includes windows phone 10 has dropped below 1%. So <laughs> it's a two horse game. Uh, it used to be the fastest up and coming operating system. Now it's the fastest declining mm -hmm. operating system. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to, when you're doubling your numbers and, or having your numbers to get that kind of rate. Say lovey. So the other thing Apple kind of announced is some uh, updated, guidelines, uh, some, some relating to, you know, some of the new features in iOS 10 and some clarifying things. Did you guys notice anything 
really stand. Yeah. Did you guys notice anything that really stood out to you from those? I haven't noticed anything that impacts me. One thing I haven't looked at is uh, there's a site that will diff the human interface guidelines, which can be handy to see what's changed and what hasn't. I don't know if you guys remember what that site is called. Uh, there's a bunch of them. There's one that's App Store Review Guidelines History.com. I can send it to you guys. There's a bunch of changes. <laughs> well, I knew they had some stuff about iMessages and whatnot, and I meant to get back to reading that. I kind of filed away as one of those things I should read up on and didn't. Some of that, too, is kind of the uh, the fact that iOS 10 is not necessarily something we can develop for on in most cases. Like a lot of the apps that we work on, we still have to support a wide range of versions. So you know, we kind of get a little bit of a grace period before we really have to jump on board with the latest and greatest or really can take advantage of it. Yeah, one of the interesting changes is apps should allow users to get what they pay for without performing additional tasks, such as posting on social media, uploading contacts, checking into the apps for a number of times, etc. They shouldn't force users to rate the app, review the app, download other apps, or take other similar actions in order to access functionality, content, or use of apps. So there's a lot of shady stuff that goes on with that. Yeah, yeah, I remember when uh, third-party keyboards came out, there was a keyboard that had a ton of ratings because they... They unlocked features if you gave it a five-star rating, but of course it couldn't really verify that it was a five-star, but they they got lots of five stars. I think my son downloaded that one and, and that was kind of the, yeah, let's go ahead and delete that one. Try a different one. But yeah, that's not a, not a very ethical thing. I like to think that in most cases, those, the market kind of eliminates those from, from view, but apparently not enough. Yeah. yeah. Well, and normal users don't know that you can't really check for that. And they're like, oh, well, if I want to unlock this thing. Yeah. There was some app I was using. It was, uh, I don't know how this applies to free apps. Cause I think that Slither.io game, you had to share a score on social media. If you wanted to unlock the different skins for your snakes or whatever. Oh yeah. Right. So I wonder, did you pay for that by getting the free app? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Or I wonder if that was just on the website. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know if it was in the app. It was definitely on the website. And I'm sure we're going to see some additional changes to those guidelines after um, people, especially with the message apps, as people sticker, yeah, stick stuff. Find ways to exploit the uh, new features that weren't anticipated. So I, you know, I, I think it's kind of interesting. David Smith mentioned on his podcast that he's not going to have a an app ready on launch of iOS 10, which is uncommon for him. Usually he's there day one. He's still, he, he is working on an app. It's just not ready yet. That's because his podcast is now taking twice as long as it did before. <laughs> he went from 15 <laughs> minutes to 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I think to some degree, he's also, he, he's got quite a few apps already. So I, I don't think it's necessarily as critical for him to keep having new features. And iOS 10 is, unless he wanted to get into message apps, I'm not sure if there's a whole lot to get excited about, um, but who knows? Maybe, maybe by the time this podcast airs, we'll find out some new features we didn't know uh, that are only available on the iPhone Seven. Yeah, they they could surprise us with something new. Well, we got Force Touch last year, which was, I guess, a little bit of a surprise. So, yeah, yeah, you yeah, never know. Touch ID wasn't one year, but they didn't actually give us the API to access that. But we until the year following. But then there was also, was it the 5 that integrated the step counter? Or was it the 5S? I think it was the 5. 
think it was the 5S, but okay. Yeah, that we we got that API when we got the after the GM, I think we got the final version. Yeah, well, that's where David Smith rushed out his pedometer plus plus app, which I think is where most of his energy is going lately, is to his health related apps like pedometer plus plus activity. Kind of like Apple, he's kind of stopped going for. I've got a billion apps on the app store. And it seems like now it's like, I've got a, you know, kind of a core set of apps. I keep up to date. Well, it sounds like Apple's going to remove some of his apps that he hasn't been keeping up to date. Yeah. <laughs> yeah quite possibly. I think all of mine that would have been re- removed under the, the new rules have been removed just because I was embarrassed to have them on the app store. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'll have to check some, for some of the charity apps I've done in the past, actually. That's what I think of it. Yeah, well, I'm thinking about one in particular. They, they really should have held off on starting this until Parse shut down because they're just going to have to yeah. go back through all of them again. Yeah. But I guess it wouldn't be too hard to find out which one's linked to Parse, the Parse SDK. Yeah. January is also when the ATS, Apple Transport Security guidelines, are going to become more of a requirement. So there may be a few apps that get hit by that as well. So. Might see a few rounds of this. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that one because I need to come up with a solution for another app that I support that just runs off of a plain old HTTP website and doesn't need anything more than that because it's really just pulling down content. But then I don't want to have to also fill out the exception form all the time either. Let's encrypt? You've heard of that? Yeah, but I'm not actually managing the website. Not not that I'm scraping content from this website. It's just a small charity, and they run a site that I'm not the webmaster of, if people even use that term anymore. Seems, yeah. Huh. Seems kind of dated. The webmaster. Yeah. <laughs> it, it'll be interesting to see how they enforce that and, and how much of that is part of the review process. I know there's exceptions yeah. to the rules, like if it's a web view, it doesn't have to be, and... I think there's something that about if it's your server versus a third-party server might be treated a little differently. Seems but, like if yeah. it was your server, they would be more interested in you bringing on SSL. Yeah, you have control over it. So. Right. Yeah, you can get an exception. Although what your server is is kind of debatable, depending on like the size of your company. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I Definitely. can see if you're a big enterprise, you may have may not have complete control. Yeah. And if you tell someone else, oh, yeah, this company says you need to update your security, they're going to be like, well, I don't care if that company has to say. Well, even you have to have a certain level of SSL, which some large companies may have trouble getting to because they've been lingering on old versions. But really, it's actually certain levels of TLS, not SSL, because that's even older than TLS. But Oh, yeah. I mean, you. it's hard because... You may have some legacy app that runs on some old version and it's only supported on some old version. So you can't just go and update everything in a big company. So, yeah. Yeah, you have some version that runs on like WebSphere 5.0. That's ancient by now. Not looking forward to that part. So we, there was a Cocoa Heads meetup this past week, right? Yeah, yeah. Here in Cincinnati, we had our uh, monthly meetup. And the topic, uh, without getting into kind of a holy war about it, uh, kind of covered the <laughs> pros and cons of interface 
builder versus building your UI programmatically. As... Oh no, let's have that holy war right now. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely something that comes up periodically in the community. I mean, even I remember uh, one year we were at WWDC and playing around with UI collection views after it came out. <laughs> and yep. uh, we were following the example, trying to wire things up, and uh, it wasn't working quite right. So we took it to the lab, the code to the lab, and and uh, one of the engineers who had worked on UI collection view was kind of like, you guys used, uh, you used interface builder. I never touched the thing. <laughs> I can't help you. <laughs> I always do it in code. So, yeah. um, you know, there's definitely some pockets of the community that kind of feel like it, you know, real programmers do their UI and code. What do you guys do? Not to say, <laughs> kind of set you up for, <laughs> man, am I a real programmer or not? I would say most of the time I'm not a real programmer. Well, you do all um, your UI and OpenGL, so that's that's pretty well. Real. <laughs> yeah, we do a lot there, but we do a lot of stuff in UIKit as well. I guess my personal opinion is if you are doing stuff in a table view cell and you're not using a storyboard, you're crazy. Just my personal opinion. Um, other than that, you know, the some of the storyboard benefits are kind of not as beneficial, but I, I still think it's easier to separate some of that stuff, keeping it in, in storyboards and UI. I do like the, sorry, not UI, the IB designable stuff is always, always nice. If you do need to drop down to code, at least you can mix it with storyboards and have kind of a happy experience. Now, what about you guys? I'm a visual person. So I like having the storyboards there. If I do UI encode, then I always end up having to run the thing a hundred times before I get the layout just right. And for me, that's a pain. I'd be designable, Sam. Yeah. Well, that's what yeah. I'm saying. If I do it all in code and where I'm creating, adding sub views and setting up my constraints and everything, I have to run the thing over and over and over just before yeah. it looks semi okay. And if you're there is a... on iPad, iPhone and TVOS, there's so many different ways you'd have to run it versus previewing yeah. it in interface builder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do, there's one view that we have specifically that I did a bunch of stuff in, in the draw view or whatever that method is. Um, what is it? Layout sub view will lay out sub views mm. or no. draw and rec. Draw rect. Yeah. Oh, I did a lot that. of stuff in, in draw rect, you know, some like drawing and code hmm. and, it was, I mean, interface builder just had, making it IB designable made it really useful. I had some sample data in there and could test out all the stuff and look at it on all the different, different screens, just one, you know, side by side. So interface builder makes it a lot easier to, to even if you're doing drawing and code to, to test it out quickly. Now, that's not to say that I don't create custom views, but what I, when I do, I typically make them as IB designable and I'd yeah. be inspectable and then I can drag them into my interface builder document. Yep. And interface yeah. builder also lets you turn off constraints and even hide views and rearrange views based on size classes and other attributes. And Xcode yeah. 8, the preview gets even far, far better. One of the problems I had with that, so I would say interface builder does get you there. Maybe. 90% of the way, 
when I, I had a view that was drastically different for phone versus iPad, and I was using universal storyboards, and I needed to rearrange the view hierarchy based on whether you were a tablet or a phone, and that doesn't work so well. I ended up just kind of taking the, the one or two or so labels and pulling them out of the the view hierarchy and kind of like, but then positioning them relative to the ones that were like underneath it in, in another part of the hierarchy. It was really hacky. I thought there was some size class trick you could do for that where it, it obviously depends on the exact circumstances of your view and where you need to be different. But can't yeah. you like have different view hierarchies in, in different size class combos or no? Can you just move stuff around? You can have different hierarchies, but if you need to say reference the the same label with the same IB outlet, that's not going to work because you can't have two different labels gotcha. pointing to the same outlet. Then I, I ended up having like the label small and label large or whatever, and then having another variable that was called this label some my whatever label and then. And then you started Swift, so you had to iflet all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> nah, just force unwrap it. Okay. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a problem if some of them didn't exist? <laughs> yeah. Well, you want to crash early, right? Okay. <laughs> so what about you, Alex? What are your thoughts? So the main project, the big one that I've been working on for almost three years now, um, everything we do is programmatic and that decision was made long before I started on the project. It was kind of a mandate from the client. And that app has hundreds of custom views throughout and predated auto layout and even storyboards. Um, and we're, we've been converting things to auto layout as we go, but everything's done programmatically. So I'm definitely comfortable doing things programmatically. Um, but on other projects, I'll, we're not mandated to do code only. Uh, I'll use storyboards, but my storyboards tend to be relatively lean and I'll, I'll break my storyboards up into very small chunks. So I won't put a whole lot of view controllers into a single storyboard. I'll, I'll break it out quite a bit. Oh and yeah. I find the more complicated the view is, the more likely I am to back down to, to code, to fall back to code, just because I, I feel like I can control it. A little bit more and I mean storyboards theoretically are very visual but at the same time it kind of hides some things from you too uh, I feel like in a, in a lot of cases I can picture better in code now just because that's the way I've been, You've been working doing it for so long yeah <laughs> you're like that guy in the matrix yeah. especially when things start getting conditional layout become conditional layouts it was funny because uh when when this talk was given out of local cocoa heads like I hadn't even thought in my head that when you're making that decision, you're deciding between uh, doing auto layout, you know, with in code, like with a visual markup language or whatever, and using auto layout interface builder. I was thinking in my head, if it's programmatic, you're using CG rec math all over the place. And I, I guess it's just been so long since I've tried to do it all completely in code. I just fall back to CG rec math if I'm going to do that. Uh, so that's a good follow-up question. So obviously you do CG rec. Um, what do you do, Sam, if you're doing your layouts in code? Oh, it's completely auto layout. And I'll mix the VFL with 
regular constraints. I actually like using the regular constraints a little bit more, you know, specifying them each individually, because then I have an opportunity to put an identifier on them. And so I've even written extensions that overload the constructor for the NS layout constraint that takes the identifier. So that then when I see it breaking in the debug log in the console, that I can go back to that specific uh, constraint and figure out why it's breaking the layout. So you don't get as much of that opportunity when you use the VFL stuff, the visual formatting language. But I, it does give you back an array of them, so you could just kind of loop through and give them identifiers. But it's hard to say, well, this identifier or this constraint that it gave me is going to make a width calculation or something. So for me, I, I don't really do any of the CG rec math at all anymore. Not not since we got wide phones. It's all it's all auto layout. See, I was doing a like this grid view thing, and it was like a fixed grid layout. And I started off doing it auto layout because since everything was fixed, I'm like, all right, I'm, this has to be relative to this and all this stuff. And I I did it, and it was super fragile. And I I finally gave up, and I just it was quicker to write it. I, I did start trying to do it auto layout, but the CG rec math just for that scenario happened to be better. I tried a uh, um, UI collection view as well, and that didn't work as well either. It, it all had a, related to just the you know columns had to be certain widths. It was almost like a HTML table, but it was did did not want to use HTML because uh, we were actually having memory issues when it was using. A WebKit view previously. Oh, was this that score <laughs> scorecard thing that you'd been working on? Yeah, yeah. Originally it was it was just an HTML, just like a WebKit view, and we were getting memory issues with it because of some old WebKit bug. So I had to redo it in native code, which made it quicker and got rid of the memory leak, but it was it was not easy to to replicate in auto layout. Yeah, and I remember you tried that initially in stack views too. Yeah, I tried everything. <laughs> yeah. When you need a when you need a grid, stack views are not your friend. No. No, no, they're not. Now on Mac OS they introduced the grid view, which is kind of the two dimensional cousin of the stack view. Uh but that's yeah. not available in iOS yet. And I and who knows if it ever will be. I, I think they kinda figured why would you want to do two two dimensional grids on Oh, yeah, yes. who used that on a phone? That's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I only had seven columns. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> I actually implemented a grid view um, for uh, for the big app and did it all in code. And I did CG rec math on that. And we had sticky uh, headers, row headers, and mm -hmm. column headers. Uh, so it was kind of interesting. Uh, but yeah, yeah uh, auto layout was not a good choice for that. And Auto layout introduces a decent amount of overhead, and if you've got a large number of views that you're laying out with lots of constraints, you'll start to see a, a bit of a lag if you're not careful. Yeah, it's it's like an exponential increase of computation as you add more and more stuff. So yeah, but when you nest when you nest them, especially oh yeah, stack views and stack views and stack views get a bit messy. Bad for performance, especially yeah. if it's in a table view cell. And stack views all the way down. <laughs> and you know the UI collection view cell. You know, trying to make those dynamic height. That's another place where I found CG Rec Math better performance and and the results 
ended up being a lot better for me than trying to do it in auto layout. Personally, I will try and do VFL encode as much as possible. It's a little bit more concise because you can represent multiple constraints in a single line and then fall back down to the NS layout constraints uh, for the things that VFL can't do. And then certain use cases, the CG rec math is just faster and from a performance standpoint and, and easier to control like a two-dimensional grid. Yeah. But you can't really mix and match the auto layout and the CG rec math, right? You kind of can do that. And, and in, in Xcode 8, you can mix and match in that as well. It's more kind of like nesting. So you can have an auto layout view nested inside of a, it, something that uses uh, frames. Okay. So it's, you can do the nesting. You just can't, you can't mix and match at the, at the same level. Yeah, right. that makes sense. Well, I think that's about all the time we have left. This week, enjoy the the iPhone announcements and all that good stuff. And why don't you guys tell us where we can find you on the internet? Wait, wait, quick poll. Anybody going to oh. buy one or are you going to wait and see what they got, what it is? I'm going to see what it is. Um, I'm kind of hoping that I'll be able to upgrade uh, the phone that I just bought, <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> You're on an S, right? The phone you just I, an S. Yeah, I, I, I got a success recently. Argo, you're on an S. Are you going to upgrade? I haven't skipped a generation yet, but I'm I'm thinking about it. I'll probably end up buying it though. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm going to try to avoid it. I don't think there's gonna be anything compelling. But we'll see. We'll let you know next it's week. It's gonna be so much faster, Sam. Are you gonna see that exponential graph where it <laughs> like doubles again? I go, whoa, I need to have it. No. I suspect I'll need one for testing. So that's Primary yeah, reason of yep. getting one if I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Testing. Mm-hmm. It, it depends on what they add to it. If it's just, you know, white color and haptic feedback on the soft home screen, home button, maybe not. But if there's new sensors or something that I might need to take advantage of, then, then I'll be forced to get one. Mm-hmm. Oh, there will be new sensors. The warmth We'll sensor. probably have to cut this all out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, all right. Well, just take us out again, Argo. Well, I think that's about all the time we have left. So why don't you guys tell me where we can find you on the internet? You can find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter. And I'm at Sam Corder. I'm at Alex Argo. And you can follow the podcast at Shared Inst on Twitter. Come join us in Slack at chat.sharedinstance.com. And we'll see you guys next week. All right. See you. See you. Later. <laughs>